Good morning. Good morning, I'm going to invite you, ask if you would take a moment and just, uh, you know, I've grown up in the church, so it, it just comes out of me, bow your heads, fold your hands, you know, and it just becomes a, kind of a part of our culture, right? Why do we do that? It's kind of a, you know, we know why we do it for kids, right? But have you ever noticed kids, how kids do it? You know, they're, well, some of you are kids, so... Whatever it takes for you just to offer your attention to God for a moment and allow, allow me to lead us in a moment of prayer, inviting him to, to meet with us this morning. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. In the midst of all that we are experiencing on this planet, sometimes we can't see it, but we know your word has said it's true, and we've experienced it, that you're faithful. And so we invite you to be faithful. We ask you to be faithful in this moment as we open your word, as we've come together this morning to meet with you. We're here to meet with each other, to fellowship, to meet new people, to reacquaint ourselves with people maybe we haven't seen in a while, or to continue friendships. We're here to learn. We're here to worship. We're here to present our lives to you. Father, we're here to meet with you. And so we invite you to be faithful in each heart, each mind that is here present, those watching online, that your spirit would draw us to yourself. Father, we recognize, we want to acknowledge that we have, uh, we have obstacles. We, we, uh, we carry things in our hearts and in our minds, struggles, our weaknesses, our failure this past week our fear, our anger, our confusion. We carry these things. We bring, they're part of us. They, we bring them with us when we come into this space, into this moment. And we, we don't want to deny those things. We want to acknowledge them and we want to invite you to work in those areas. God, I, I ask you to show us who you are in a, in a fresh way, that we would see you clearly this morning in your word, that we would hear from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that with me. I needed that. I'm going to encourage you to take this out. Andy was referring to the bulletin. There is a page in there. Some of you don't know that because some of you, some of you don't even know what this is. This is called paper. If you're under, I don't know, 30 maybe, this is called paper. It's a, I know it's an old invention, but it's kind of cool. And I don't have one, but they make these things. They're pens. There's pencils. And you can... You can write things down on here that you want to remember. Now, you can also do it on your phone. Stephen's got his because he thinks I'm being silly. So, Stephen, you can do it on your phone, too. You can take out your phone. You can t start a note, and you can write on your phone something that God gives you this morning that you want to come back and you want to re-engage in another time. So I want to encourage you to we're going to jump right in, Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to start with a couple of verses from last week where Jeff kind of left off. So we're going through the, the, the book of Galatians, this idea, this idea of the liberty that we have to love because of what Christ has done for us. Am I a little loud? Yeah. Okay, I'm a little bit, maybe a little bit hot, at least to one person. <laughs> it's hard to please everybody, isn't it? You know, it, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's comes with being a family. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, here's my point. He, we, he's been going on for a while, hasn't he? 
Remember, he started in, in, right, we started this book, and Paul did his normal, hey, greetings, I got some great things to say about you, and then get into, no, 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 he just jumped right in. And we've seen that he's very passionate about this message. He's very concerned. He's very frustrated. Maybe he's even upset what's happening to the churches in Galatia. And so he's been talking, and he's been making a case, and he, and he says in verse 17, we saw this last week, my point is this, here's what I want you to understand. The law, which came 430 years later, later from what? After the promise, after the covenant that God made with Abraham, 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant, that covenant God made with Abraham, previously established by God, and so it doesn't cancel the promise, the promise that came with the covenant. You familiar with the covenant God made with Abraham, remember? I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to, from that son, I'm going to make you a great nation, and from your lineage is going to come the one that I already made the promise in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember that promise? That from a woman, a seed of a woman would come, and that, that seed, that offspring of a woman, would crush the head of Satan. This has always been God's plan. It's hard. And, and he says the law, which comes 430 years after this moment where he made this promise to Abraham, it doesn't cancel out God's plan, his promise. For if the inheritance, if receiving the promise is based on the law, that's how we get God to keep his word, is by keeping the law. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, if we get this promise of a savior, of a promised one, the anointed one, the seed that would crush Satan's head, this inheritance that is ours, if we get that based on the law by keeping the law, then it's no longer based on the promise. It's no longer a gift. It's not based on a promise that God's made. If you remember, when God made the covenant with Abraham, it wasn't a contract. It wasn't, if you do this, I'll do that. That's a contract, right? You with me? We just refinanced our house, and man, I don't know if you've done, I mean, I'm not kidding, the, the stack of papers was like this, and at this point, I'm not even reading them, you know, I'm just, I'm signing handed to Becky, she's signing handed back to the notary, and we're just going through, going through, what are we, it's a contract that says, we'll do this if you do this. If you make a payment every month for the next 360 months, that's what it says, and if you, right, it's a contract. But this, this covenant that God made with Abraham was not a contract. It was a covenant. It was a promise. You see it there, right? In verse 19, God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise, the inheritance. What God has promised would be ours, it comes because God said simply, I will do this. You with me? Okay, I want to make sure you're awake. This is, this is, this is significant stuff. God says, I'm going to do this because I'm going to do it. Yeah, but what if we fail? What if we don't? What if Abraham fails? Is the promise still good? According to God, it is. Does the inheritance still come? Do we still reap a savior? Yes, according to God. So then why the law then? That's my question this morning, and it's, we're going to move into the, the verses after this because he's going to answer it. If all this is true, this is really good stuff, then why the law? Why give us a set of rules that isn't the pathway to enjoy the promise? It's a legitimate question, right? You ever question rules? Yeah. You know what I did early this morning? 
and I decided not to use the time to do it here, but I went through, I searched, what are the crazy laws that are still in the books? I'm telling you, there's some really weird laws, but we're not going to go there. Here's where we're going to go. The law that I question is that little black and white rectangle on the side of the road that says 35 on Fair Oaks Boulevard. I mean, I got a car that literally, my car, it's like a dog. You know, it looks back at me and says, why are you going 35? I was made to go, <laughs> you know, truck, ah, ah, my truck. My truck is like, this is, I mean, I feel like I can get out and walk alongside my truck at 35. Now, I know there's reasons for that law, but I got to be straight up with you. I question that. I go, really? I could drive 45 or 50 safely on Fair Oaks Boulevard. And you know how, because I've been doing it for years. <laughs> Do you ever question a law or a rule? Do you have teenagers in your house? Then you know what I'm talking about, right? It starts much earlier though, doesn't it? That three letter word? Yes. Why? 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 It just gets a little more in your face when they turn eight <laughs> these days. 12, 13. Why the law? Now, I'm going to give you just kind of a, a, a simple answer, answer, and then we're going to unpack it, hopefully, in a, in a practical way. But if I wanted to summarize that, I'd say it like this. Here's what I believe is Paul's heart. He's saying this is all about Jesus. Stuff that we're talking about, this, this letter that I'm writing to you, it's all about Jesus and what he's done for us. And this moving away from him back to some other system is what's really got him worked up. If you know Paul at all, you know his story. He had this incredible encounter with Jesus that absolutely transformed his life on the road to Damascus. Nothing was the same after that. He spent the rest of his life, until he had his head removed from his shoulders, he spent the rest of his life with Christ. You with me? The, the, the problem that he has is what they're, what they're doing, the choices they're making, and we got to be real, we got to make sure we're looking at our own lives today, the choices that we make, is it's moving us away from Jesus. It's diminishing that and what that means. And so in the big picture, that's, what, that's why he's worked up. It's all about Jesus. Now let's get a little more specific as to what he gives as his answer to why the law then? Why did God give us the law? Verse 19, why the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions, because of sin. And it was added because of transgressions until the seed, capital S. Who is that referring to? That's all the way back to Genesis 3 and Abraham and the covenant, the one that's coming, the promised one, the anointed one, the, the prophets would speak of it. In fact, John the Baptist would be miraculously born in his mother's womb when she was past childbearing age, and he had one single purpose, do you remember? To make the way clear, to make it straight. He was there to announce that the seed had come, the promised one. So the law's given, it was added, it was put into the mix, if you will, because of transgressions, because of our sin, until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was ordered, it was administered, it was presented through angels. Do you know that? Stephen talked about it in his message in Acts, he talks about it. Hebrews talks about it. it and there's a verse in Deuteronomy. This is int interesting. He says, the Lord came, Moses is talking, and he's at the end of his life, and he's recapping his, his life, and he's challenging the, the Israelites. 
he says, Moses says, the Lord came from Sinai. Do you guys remember that? He came from Sinai and he appeared to them, to the people of God. And he shone on them from Mount Paran and came with 10,000 holy ones or angels. See, the angels were a part of, you know, if, if you get your theology from Cecil B. DeMille, I think was his name, the director, then you see Charlton Heston, you know, with the two big tablets. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you're younger. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Feel a little better. You know, and, and, and Charlton Heston with that voice, you know, and then he speaks. And I just read an article. He's of a mediator. Who is that? That's Moses, right? A mediator is someone who represents two parties. Moses represented the people of God, and he represented God, didn't he? He spoke to the people. He was the, he was the mediator that spoke between the two parties and represented both parties to each other. Now, a mediator is not just for one person. It's for two parties. But God is one. Interesting? We, we know in Hebrews that, that Jesus is the mediator, right? There's only one name given between God and man. But Jesus is not a normal mediator because he doesn't represent two parties. He represents himself. Isn't that cool? Jesus, the mediator between God and man, is God, and he comes to us, and he's this one mediator representing himself and engaging. He's fully man, and he's fully God. He's unique in the world of mediation, wouldn't you say? A mediator is not just for one, it's for two parties, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, contrary? Does it go against God's promises, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, if there was some kind of law, some kind of process, some kind of man-centered system, because that's what the law is, right? The law is good and it comes from God and it represents him, but it's a system for mankind, for people to follow, right? It's directed at people. If there was some system, if there was a law that could be given that was available, that could do this, that could give life, then righteousness, being right with God, would certainly be by the law. The law would be that system. The law is good, and it's given to us by God, and it represents who He is. And so if it was possible to earn your way to favor with God, if it was possible to be good enough, to be righteous enough, to be declared righteous, for God to go, this one right here, She's righteous. She's worked really hard. She's kept everything that I've asked of her, so you are righteous. He said if that was possible, and you get what's between the lines, right? If that was possible, the law would be it. The law would be that system. If it was possible, righteousness would come through the law. However, but, whenever you see a but, circle it, underline it, it's important, right? However, but the scripture, the written law, the written word has imprisoned everything under sin's power. This is a negative aspect of the law, if you will. It has trapped us. It literally, it's the word that's used for a fish caught in a net. There's no matter which direction the fish swims, he's stuck in the net. You're imprisoned. The law, the scriptures have imprisoned everything, creation, under sin's power. So that the promise by faith, pointing us back to the covenant, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. 
Before this faith came, we were confined. We were under military guard, technically, by the law. We were confined under the law. We were in prison, same word, until the coming of faith was revealed. So the law then was our guardian. This is a different word. It's our tutor. It's our moral compass, if you will, until, and now he says it, Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Why? Why, Paul? What's your point? You see it? You see it? So that we could be justified, we could be declared righteous with God by the law. No, not the law, because that's impossible is his point. We're declared righteous by faith, not by keeping the law. So let me wrap this up. And if you're, ta- if you're going to write some things down, I want you to write some of these down. We need to understand Paul's que- answer to his question. Why then the law? Because the law cannot give life, it only confirms our death. So, well, that's a bummer, that's negative. Stay with me. We're going somewhere with it. But the law cannot give me life. Keeping rules, being good on my own, cannot give me eternal life, righteousness, or right standing with God. No matter how good I am, it can only confirm that I'm headed for death. Number two, the law exposes my slavery to sin. It exposes, as you read through the law and you, and you say, well, you know, some of them are like, no brainer, I can't, I, I'm good with those. But as you continue to read, you realize, oh man, I'm in trouble. Right? Then Jesus comes on the scene and says, you've been told it's wrong to commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you're thinking about it, if you're looking on a woman, gentleman, and you're engaging in lust, it's like you're committing adultery in your mind and you are in fact a breaker of the law. You've failed to keep the law. So what we watch on the internet or on our phones, I'm breaking the law. You with me? And I read through and I realize I'm a slave to sin. No matter how hard I try, I'm drawn to these things. Number three, the law makes the power and the penalty of sin undeniable and inescapable. We're all in the same boat. If you, if you for some here this morning, that's really what needs to happen in your heart. If you can just grab a hold of that, that we're all in the same boat. This division that we're experiencing in our culture and our world, us against them and groups and different, all of it, when it comes to the, the family of God, to God's plans to redeem us, we're all in the same boat. Nobody's ahead of anybody else. Wait a minute, I, I, I think I keep a lot more of the law than that person. Yeah, but we know where that leads. The law is not going to lead you to life. The law makes the power and penalty of sin undeniable and inescapable. And finally, the law prepares us. And here's the, this is, I told you we're going somewhere. The law prepares us for a savior. The law prepares me to bring me to the place where that is my only hope. That is my only hope. The law prepares us for the seed, for the promise. In fact, the, the law leads us, I would suggest, right to the foot of the cross. I want to I invite you to join me this morning. We're going to come to the Lord's table. If you have, have elements. And let me, let me make sure that we're clear on, on what this is. For some, this, you, you, if you're new to church, if you're new here this morning... If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you've come with questions, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're coming to look for something else, whatever the case might be. 
This is something that may seem strange, but it's something that Jesus asks those who are trusting in him as Savior to honor him by doing. He didn't tell us how frequently to do it. He just said, do it. And every time you do it, you do it in remembrance of me, of him. And so we read in Matthew 26, as they were eating, they were having a Passover meal, celebrating Passover, Jesus and his disciples. He took bread, he took the flat bread, unleavened bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. My body which is broken for you. And so for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, this is an expression of our, our gratitude to Jesus. It's a recognition that the law could not save me, that I could not save myself, that I could not measure up, I could not hit the mark of God's holiness on my own. And so Jesus stepped in and he took my place and he gave his life on the cross. And that night with his disciples, as we, 2,000 years later, as we sit here in this room and those that are watching online, he took that bread and he broke it, he blessed it, he gave it to the disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me we eat. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks he gave it to them and said drink from it all of you for this is my blood that establishes the covenant and it is shed his blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. You see the law prepares us for a savior. The law says that I I can I need to earn my standing with God. The cross says simply, I forgive you because you are a sinner. You are a failure. You can't keep the law, but I love you. And so I will give my life so that you can be forgiven for your sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 to the Corinthian church, as often as you eat this bread, each time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Can I rephrase that? What we just did, we proclaimed our faith in the covenant. You with me? Our faith in the covenant. I cannot earn my way to rights with God. But Jesus, the seed, the anointed, the promised one, made to Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, Jesus from Nazareth, came and he took my place. He was buried, he rose from the dead, he returned to the right hand of the Father, and he said, one day, I'll be back. And so when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim our faith in the covenant. You proclaim that you're not finding your righteousness in keeping the law or being good. You're depending on your standing with God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. In church, that's called grace. That's called grace. Now, we're going we're gonna to respond. And, and I'm not done. Okay, I'll just say it that way. Because so far we've seen Paul's point is, you know, we're slaves to the law. The law, this is, a, we're a mess. 
All those points are pretty negative other than the last one, right? The wages of sin is death. But then it leads us to the cross. There's something good coming. There's something good coming. Let's worship. There we go. Paul is speaking to the Galatian churches who are primarily Gentile. But if you remember, the Judaizers had followed him and they'd come into the area and they were saying, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law in order to be right. Jesus is fine, the gospel, but you also need to keep the law and you need to have a public display of that by being circumcised. If I am living in a system that my salvation depends on my goodness, my ability to keep a set of rules, then what Paul is saying is basically I'm a slave to that system. I'm living as a slave. Well, what if I'm not doing a religious system? What if I'm not choosing the path of trying to keep the law or keep a set of rules? What if I'm just living my life? Well, he says you also are a slave because now you're a slave to your flesh, to your sin. Now, he's going to get real practical in chapter 5. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see Paul say, here's the works of the flesh, here's what slavery looks like to the flesh, and then here's the, the fruit of the Spirit. You remember, we, we know that, right? We know that section, and he's going, to, he's going to get real practical there. But he's laying the ground, the foundation now. If you're living to be good, if you think there's something you can do that's going to make you know, God, it's Kurt, and God's going to go, oh, hey, come on in. We're good because I look at your life, and man, you lived a good life. If you're living that from that perspective, Paul says you're a slave to that system. You never know when it's enough. You never know if, in fact, you have... But if I'm living a life that says, you know what, I don't need God, I don't need a system, I'm just going gonna to do what's good for me, now I'm a slave to this, to the flesh. To the works of the flesh. You can read them there in Galatians 5. And no matter how much I try to fool myself into thinking that I'm a good guy and that this is okay to live this way, the reality is I'm a slave to my sin, to my lust, to my passion, to my pride, to me. You with me? It's all about slavery. But that's not where he leaves us. That's where, not where God leaves us, and it's certainly not where Paul is. So if you come back to chapter 3, verse 25, he says this, but since that faith has come, that we have actually, Jesus has come, and he has fulfilled that, that covenant promise, and he gave his life, and he was buried, he rose from the dead, and by the way, I met him on the way to Damascus. I was an apostle born out of time. I wasn't a part of those 12. Oh, I wish I could have been, but no, at that time, I was a slavery to, slave to the law, in fact, I was killing Christians because I was so offended by their, their convictions, their belief that Jesus was who he said he was. But I met him on the road to Damascus, and I'm telling you, now that faith has come, don't miss who's writing this, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had lived his entire life for the law, and in a moment, Jesus transformed him, and he realized that he was a slave to that. Paul did. And he embraced faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, why are you pushing back against me? Why are you persecuting me? And he says, Lord. You remember? He says, Lord, tell me what to do. 
And he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And the whole Old Testament, his Hebrew scriptures, all became alive and took on a whole new meaning. And he gave his life to follow Jesus. Now that faith has come. Do you remember what he said already? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under that guardian, the tutorship of the law. For you are all, don't miss this, if you put your faith in Jesus, now the faith has come, this path to God, you all are sons, daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you want, if you want the, the, the gemstone, the heart stone, if you will, the mountain stone, I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings and the dwarfs, what was that called? The, remember the stone at the heart? The heart of the mountain. Thank you, Nate. You're a geek like me. The heart of the, if you're looking for the heart of the mountain of Galatians, this is it. You are all sons of God. Everyone comes to rightness with God, into God's family, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you, let's expand a little bit. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. What does that mean? It means that's my new identity Remember Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? That's our new identity. Child of God, disciple maker, follower of Jesus, temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you've been baptized, you've been crucified with Christ, you put your faith in him, then you're buried with Christ, risen with Christ, and you have this new identity. Your new identity is what? It's Jesus. No, hold on, Paul. No, because I'm a, I'm a Jew. That's my identity. I, I'm a Gentile. I'm a Greek. I'm a slave in this system. I'm, I'm just one of the slaves. Well, I'm free. I'm a man. I'm a woman. He says, no, no, no. Look, you see it there. He's gonna, this is where he's going to take us. He says, your identity is Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You're in him. This is your new identity. For as many of you ha has been, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's no more Jew or Greek. There's no, in the body of Christ, in the family, in the church, there's no more Jew or Greek. There's no more slave or free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. This is your identity. I am a child of God. It's hard to believe some of you. Yes. Some of you are like, oh, we know you. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But God says through faith in Jesus Christ, you are now in Christ. He is the firstborn of many siblings, right? That's one of his, his titles. And if you're Christ, if you're in him, guess what? You're part of Abraham's seed. You're in that lineage. You're, you're an heir in that lineage. You're, you are part of the promise. The, the covenant applies to you. You're heirs according to the promise God made. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, now he's going to give them an illustration that they're going to understand because he's going to describe, describe a Roman household. Okay, Roman household was usually a very big thing, and there were, at one point there were nine slaves to every free, free person in the, in the Roman Empire. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it was just, it was everywhere. And that applied to the house as well. You had certain roles that slaves fulfilled in the household. As Rome continued to conquer, they just kept bringing back more people, and, and enslaving more people, and they brought them back into their culture, and it was a part of their daily life. And so in a household, you would have several slaves. You would have housekeepers, you would have groundskeepers, you would have a steward, you would have a chief of staff, in essence, in your household. Now, slavery is a horrible thing, but there's something kind of appealing about that part of it, right? <laughs> Having, you know, people that, that are doing, we could probably do it a better way, but that was, their, that was their understanding. He's not talking to Jewish people, he's talking to part of the Roman Empire in Galatia. 
And he says, in a household, when you have children, as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from one of the slaves in the household. Even though he's the owner, he's the heir, everything belongs to him. But in reality, as a child, he's under guardians. Those who, their, their task was to, to care for him or her, protect them. And they are under stewards. There's the kind of the chief of staff, the household manager. As long as they're a minor, they're under these other authorities, these roles in the household. And it's going to be that way until the time set by his father. What is he saying? He's comparing the law to this. The law was our guardian. The law was our tutor. The law was what had authority over us. The authority that said, you're all sinners and none of you can measure up. And you're only, the only outcome for every life is going to be death because the wages of sin is death. And nobody can keep the law. You're all without hope. Yay! Okay, let's pray and go home. Until the appointed time by the Father, until the time set by the Father, in the same way. Is it on the screen behind me? Good. In the same way, or you look at your Bible or your phone, we also, when we were children, we were in slavery. We were enslaved under the elemental forces of the world. The reality of this world, what sin has done, and the principles of, of, of death as a consequence of sin. All the elemental forces of this world that governed this life, we were in slavery to them. But when the completion of the time came, when God says it's time, the Father sent His Son, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to the Jewish people, in the, according to the promise to Abraham, to redeem those who were under the law, to set them free, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So here's His conclusion. In Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child of God. You're no longer a slave, but a child of God. And if you are a son, a child of God, then you are an heir through God. You are an heir to his promise. From Genesis 3 to, was it Genesis 12 when he called Abraham and he makes the, all the way down, the Davidic covenant, all the promises. He says, you're in, you're in the family now. See, when, when, I, when I die one day, next week, next year, next decade, I don't know, I got this building that I live in. It's called a house, and as you know now, I got 360 more payments to me. But as I make those payments, and as the house potentially goes up in value, and my balance goes down, and then I die, Becky and I are no longer here. There's some, there's some value there, right? You're all going to get a piece. No, you're not. Sorry. I love you, but you're not. I'll give you the shepherd. I'll give you the German shepherd. Where does that go? It goes to my, my heirs, my family, my children. He says, now through faith you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. You're in God's family, and you have all the benefits that come from being in God's family. Let me say it this way, and I'm, I'm close to being done. In Christ, if you're writing some stuff down, write these down. In Christ, we are children of God. Now, is that a, is that a pride thing? I hope not. I hope that's a, hey, hey, I'm a child of God, and we go out and we live that way? Oh, how shameful that would be. How disrespectful to our Heavenly Father. But if we go from this place and we live, 
I can't believe it. God loves me. God sent Jesus to die for me because he loves me. He's adopted me into his family. There's a part of me that wishes all of us had to be adopted at birth so that we could truly understand what that, what that feels like, what that means to not have family and then be chosen to be a part of somebody's family and says, I will love you, we will love you, you are in this family for the rest of your life. Paul says, in Christ, we are children of God. We've been adopted into his family. You put your faith in Jesus, you're in his family. What's Olive Garden's thing? It just popped into my head. But help me. When you're, what? oh, Chris, you're revealing something. When you're here, your family, thank you. When you're here, your family. When you're not, we don't care about you. But when you're here, your family. <laughs> God says, your family. In Christ, we're children of God. Number two, in Christ, we're one. Now, to go back to my family, I gotta, and I don't see anybody, my kids in the room, so they may be watching. We have this thing going, this dynamic in my family. We have five kids. Our firstborn is Courtney, she's a girl. And then our fourth is, is Tyler, he's a boy. And there's this dialogue going on between Courtney and Tyler as to who is the true firstborn. And it shows up in planning events. You know, and Courtney is a firstborn, let me tell you. She's all the strengths that come with that and the planning and the, you know, the A-type. And then Tyler's like, yeah, but I'm a man. And so I'm the, you know, and so it, go, it plays out. And we laugh at it most of the time. But you know, they're all my kids. They're all family. And they're all equal in their standing. You with me, parents? I mean, sometimes it's a tough thing, right? Who, kids ask us, right? Who's your favorite? And if you ask my kids, they would tell you who they think it is. They have a picture but in here and in here, these are my, this is my family. And they're all one. They're all equal is what he's saying. There's no, there's no hierarchy in the family of God. Right? You, you say, well, you're a pastor. That's Ephesians 4. God gave pastors. He gave leaders. He gave elders. He gave yes, he did. And he gives roles. But the bigger picture is we're a body. And I might be a mouth, but some of, some of you in this room are a liver or a kidney or pancreas and can the body be healthy can the body live without those parts that nobody typically sees but they're doing their role you with me we're all one in christ we're all one he says there's no whatever you yeah but before christ i was i was a jew i was one of god's chosen people and i kept the law paul says i get that but you read about it in philippians he goes that was actually just a big pile of i wanted to see what you would say Nate is very spiritual. He said, dumb. I was hoping he'd say something less spiritual. Poo-poo, there we go. Grandparent. Poo-poo. He says, I get all that, but it's all nothing. We're all one in Christ. We're his family. Number three, in Christ we share Abraham's promise. That's significant. That covenant that God made with Abraham back in that day applies to me. He said, through Abraham, I'll bless all nations. I'm, I'm not a Jewish man. I'm not from his, his, that, the people of Israel. I'm a Gentile, and I'm a man. That counts against me too, right, ladies? I got all this stuff, and yet God says, no, you inherit as a full heir the promise, the covenant that I made to Abraham, that in fact God would come and take on human form. And what man could not do for himself, people could not do for themselves. He would come, and he would crush the head of Satan, that is victory, by the way. Do you know that? 
It's sad, and we, we think of the darkness, we think of the pain, but that's victory. That's where Satan, his defeat is secured. Because Jesus actually did it. You with me? He did it. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some nice story or, or whatever, not even a nice story. Jesus did that. He came and he did that. And because he did that, I get to share, you get to share if we put our faith in Jesus and Abraham's promise. Number four, in Christ we are no longer slaves. That's good news. We call the gospel good news because it is good news. And the good news of the gospel is that the only way for me to lo no longer be a slave, either to my, my trying to be good or a slave to my flesh and my sin, my brokenness, is faith in Jesus Christ. You're no longer a slave, he says. You're a son. Ladies, you're a daughter. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer on the outside. You're no longer under some kind of oppressive system. You, in fact, are God's child. You're no longer a slave. In Christ, finally, in Christ, we are adopted by the Father. Now, this is challenging, I know, to go beyond just the surface. But I want to encourage you just for a minute. I want you to think about what that statement means. That the, the creator of the universe, eternal God, as much as we can understand and comprehend about who he is, his, his vastness, his power, his character, his goodness, er, everything that we know about him. And with all of his faculties, with all of his capacity, all that he is, he says, I choose you. I want you and my family. I choose you. I want you and my family. We're adopted. You see, when, when our kids are born biologically, I'm not, not to take away from it, but when the doctor, all five times the doctor said, Kurt, you have a daughter, you have a daughter, or four times, and one, you have a son, you know, and, and, and all the, that is going on in that room, let's leave it at that. And, and then all of a sudden there's a baby there, and I'm holding this baby, and I'm looking at it and going, I don't have a choice. <laughs> Let it sink in, okay, thank you. You know, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I got, uh, is there like a, a do-over, you know, is there like, a, is there a trade, uh, you know, fantasy draft, I don't know, can I do... No, I don't have a choice, right? That's, that's my child, and I'm not diminishing that. Adoption, on the other hand, is taking that child without any regard to what it looks like or its past or its capacity or whatever we want to measure, and we take that child and we say, that child is mine, and I'm going to love and care for that child. That child's going to be my child from this day forth. God says that about you. That's what Paul's point is. In Christ, faith in Christ, what it does is it, it's the father saying, okay, son, they put their faith in you. This one's ours. This one's mine. This is my family. And do you remember Jesus saying that when you were in the, the hand of the father, who can, who can undo that? Who? What about you? Oh, no, you're part of the no one? Yes? No one can remove you from that. No one can undo the adoption. There's no higher court that's going to rule against the Father, right? In Christ, we are adopted by the Father. Let me, let me close with some questions. I want to give you some questions. And if you're in a home group, one of our home groups, I want to encourage you to, and two of them are written in the bottom of your um, bulletin there. What was the purpose of the law? Be ready to talk about that. Reflect on that this afternoon or between now and your, and your home group. 
Make sure you understand clearly what Paul is saying. What is the purpose? Why the law then, is what he says. Number two, who am I in Christ? Make a list, draw a picture. I don't mean an actual picture, but I mean made a picture by listing out what you heard from God this morning. Who am I to the Father? Who am I in Christ? And let me add this question. What is God asking of me? If I understand the answers to these first two, why was the law given? What's the big picture? What does it mean? And who am I to Jesus? Now, what is he asking of me? Because we haven't talked about it, but we know this to be true. When we're in a family, the Father does have expectations of us, doesn't he? If we don't meet the expectations, he doesn't kick us out. We don't cease to be a son. You remember the prodigal son? Jesus gives us that picture of the father. doesn't cease to be a son, but did the father have expectations? Certainly he did, of both sons. So what is the father asking of me? When I leave this place and I go out to my life, what is he asking? If I am in Christ and I'm in his family, what does it look like for me to live as his child in the world that he's put me in? Let me give you one, one word answer to write down and then you, you expand this. He's asking of you and me what he's always asked of us and it's the word faith. Trust me is what he's saying. Trust me. Trust me. Live as my child. I'm your father and put your faith in me. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're following him. Now trust me. So here's my, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We need to contemplate on these things. We need to hear from God and we need to respond this morning. And as they're coming, preparing, Jan, I want to invite you too as well, Jan, if you would come. Because we're going to start with a, a moment of prayer. But let me throw this last question out as they're coming. Are you living like a slave or a son? Are you living your life as a child of God or as a slave? Now, declare it, but I want you also to just step back a little bit and take a look over this last week. You can even look ahead to your calendar, your schedule, your use of time, your, use of, your planned use of money. You with me? You can go to your Amazon wish list. You can go to your checkbook or your bank account. You can look at your calendar. You can reflect back on the TV shows that you're watching. You with me? Am I living my life as a slave or am I living my life as a child of God? Let's answer that question as we respond this morning and as we move through this week. Jan, would you come lead us in time of prayer, please?